This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt, his name is Chase, and we've got one simple goal every time you tune into the podcast, and that's to bring the outdoors to you when you can't be in the outdoors, which... I am certain for almost anybody listening to this is far more than they'd they'd (laughs) like to admit. We spend a lot of time inside staring at computer screens, working on the job site, and uh, hopefully this gets you through your day. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I think we've got a fun episode for you guys. This one probably will be a little bit shorter than some of our episodes, but we are kicking off the Lessons from the Fall podcast series. Now, what this is meant to do is... distill information from people who you've had on the podcast, who we've had on the podcast and bring it to you in a format that shows progression, right? Everybody learns something in the woods every year. And we got some really stone cold killers that have come on the podcast and guys who have, you know, ventured into new pursuits and they've learned things and we're going to bring those, those little tidbit lessons to you. And that's what we're setting out to do today. But first and foremost, dude, Chase, I don't get to talk to you as much as I once did. So what's good in your world? <laughs> Man, not not really a whole lot. I'm still doing the same old, same old right now. And we'll be on that pattern for the next couple of months. And then after that, I'll be a free man <laughs> for the most part. But yeah, just continuing uh, the school grind and looking forward to uh, graduating at, at the end of April, early May, uh, working and uh, just doing my uh, everyday dad duties as well. So that's right. Not, those not don't stop, do they? No, no, no. Those, those <laughs> definitely never stop. So I even hear they never really stop even after the kids are gone. <laughs> so, oh boy. But yeah, but it's it's fun, man. Um, I'm looking, starting to look forward to uh, turkey season though, because we got turkey season uh, really right around the corner. Especially if you're hunting in South Florida, uh, it's getting real close. Uh, but even for us, uh, I need to start getting the the turkey gun out and getting dialed in and prepared. Uh, I'm probably going to buy a new pack uh, for this season. Uh, well, new pack vest. Or vest? vest. Vest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Buy a new vest for this season uh, to kind of mess around with. So I'm um, I'm looking forward to that, and I've kind of kind of done some schoolwork stuff to make sure I can get out and go turkey hunting, and uh, looking forward to uh, going to Central Florida area to hunt some birds with you. Yeah, man, I'm I'm excited about it. We uh, we got an Osceola hunt planned out. I I pulled, so I always have my turkey calls. In fact, I've got them right here. I've got the Woodhaven Ninja Ghost. Um, I've got two of them, a brand new one for this season, and the one that I've broken in. Um, I've always got those on me, but I officially broke out the turkey vest from the closet, and my wife just went. Because tis the season for yalts and kiki runs and all kinds of noises that, you know, in this small house drive her nuts. And then the dogs bark. But as always, she she tolerates it. But yeah, man, we're going to, 
we're gonna get after it down there, and and I'm I'm hoping we can film it while we're down, while 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 we are down there, because that would be a freaking blast, man. Document that adventure down there. Get we've got some local intel that's been shared with us. You know, shout out to those who will remain anonymous. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm getting really excited about it. Forty four days, as at forty three days. Yeah, as we record this, forty three days and turkey season kicks off for me. So. I am uh, about to start spending my mornings before I clock in listening for birds in the National Forest and dropping pins and, and getting ready, man. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, I'm looking forward to uh, getting out there preseason. Uh, I remember last year I didn't do as much uh, like preseason stuff as I would have liked to, so this year I'm going to really harp on that and try to get out there and maybe uh, utilize some trail cameras some more for this turkey season. Yeah, yeah, that's something you and I have kind of talked about is, is utilizing trail cameras for turkey, which is something I don't really like put hand in hand naturally. So um, I've got some areas around here where the birds move around a lot, and it's kind of interesting seeing where they move. And so I'm going to put up a couple trail cameras during turkey season, uh, probably going to inventory some deer because the rut's just winding down over here as well. Um, but if I put them out now, I'll get some deer inventory, and then I'll probably get some turkey inventory as well. And I, I think that's going to be a, like a diabolical combination. Oh yeah, yeah. A- anytime you can uh, utilize your uh, trail cameras uh, for more than just deer, to me is awesome. So uh, I like using them for turkey. Just and it kind of goes back to kind of of a, a historical thing too. Like okay, last year there were birds strutting in this area. Maybe they'll be again here this year or the year after that. So that's right. Yeah. No. And you know, speaking of turkey season, this quarterly giveaway is all turkey we're, we're going full turkey so um, if you enjoy this podcast and you enjoy what we're doing um, chase and i are always going to be doing this podcast regardless but if you want to support the show and help us do more travel more do bigger giveaways go and do and 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 record videos and and, and po- live podcasts with people consider going to patreon i mean it's less than a cup of coffee a day i think when i break it down it's like 30 cents a 30 cents a day or something like that for our lowest tier um, but patreon those funds go towards the production of more of this show and uh one of the ways that we say thank you is quarterly giveaways. And so if you enter now, and if you're an existing Patreon member, you're entered in all future giveaways. But if you enter now on March 30th or 31st, whatever that month ends with, we're going to be giving away an Alps Grand Slam turkey vest in Bottomland and a custom Chasing Tales uh, pot call from Longbeard Life. And I am really excited. I-, I love that vest. You love their calls. It just seems like a perfect marriage. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be a great giveaway, and it's the appropriate time of year to get that out to somebody uh, so they can utilize it this season. And we may even throw in some mouth calls. Oh, there you go. That giveaway. How about so, that? <laughs> we're going to add some mouth calls. So I know some people. I know some people prefer to use uh, mouth calls. Some people like to use uh, a pot call, uh, and they all have their applications. So might as well have a little bit of both. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, I honestly, I'm, I'm a mouth call guy. I really prefer to, to communicate, especially because I run the camera, right? Um, I imagine like with kids, it would probably have a similar advantage as well. But anytime I need to minimize movement, being able to keep the call in my mouth and manipulate the bird, I saw that benefit right off the bat. But there are times where that bird just won't respond to anything. He might be coming. I found this last year where you hit that glass call or that slate call and suddenly he fires off even closer and you know he's coming. So it's always good to have tools. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I like utilizing it for when I'm just out walking around, maybe trying to strike a bird up or something, or maybe just reach out and touch one uh, that's a little bit further out, and just to have the mouth call out of my mouth for a little while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so if you're interested, the link's in the show notes below. It's chasingtails.com. Actually, it's patreon.com forward slash Chasing Tales Outdoors. We'd love to have you over there. There's free hats. We've got a Marco Polo group. It, it's just one way to, to, to support the show if that's something you're interested in. But, uh, dude, let's let's get down to uh, today's topic, and that is lessons from the fall. I kind of teased it before. We go into the season with a body of knowledge, with, a, with an understanding, and we come out of it with lessons learned every year we tweak our setup we tweak our, tweak our approach we understand the public lands or the private lands that we're pursuing better because of the last year and i think a lot of times we do a lot of emphasis on big picture items this is what you should be doing and sometimes we forget that you know to update people you know this this is what we we found from this past year and it might be one tiny little you know, some of these episodes might be 15 minutes long, guys, because there may not be a whole lot to say, but uh, I somehow doubt it because I talk more than anybody on, on the face of the planet. So, Chase, I'm curious, man, what were your lessons from this past fall? Well, I'd say there were probably a couple of lessons uh, from this past fall. I mean, I think you can always learn something from the previous season. Uh, nobody, I don't think anybody leaves the season saying they didn't learn anything uh, from the fall. Uh, there were a couple of different things. Uh, one of the things uh, that I need to be more diligent in is I talked a lot about this year is I had some equipment failures during the season and it cost me two deer. <laughs> so one was my rest on my bow, uh, which I, I still, I, I think I know how it happened, but either way, um, and maybe just creating a check system while I'm in the tree, once I'm set up, just be like, all right, everything is on. <laughs> Uh, and I know a lot of people do that. They have those white markers and things where they mark everything on their bows just to make sure when they're up in the tree, they're like, okay, I still have the confidence that everything's on right now. Um, because that, that cost me a deer. I ended up wounding a deer. I'm pretty sure he's fine. Uh, it was a high shoulder shot and the, which, I mean, it was disappointing. It was a really nice public land buck for Florida. But uh, I, I learned that lesson. Like, hey, man, you, you got to be more diligent in uh, checking your stuff. Don't uh, don't get relaxed because that's when bad things can happen <laughs> when you're in the woods, especially things that are can be avoidable. Like that could be could have been avoidable had I checked it. So that was one of them. Uh, the the muzzleloader thing, I, I still don't know what happened with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I'm probably, I'm like, well, I'm probably not going to use loose powder anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I'll probably just go back to the pellets because I never had any problems uh, with, with. We need to have Tony back on the podcast and tell him about that story and see what he's got to say. Yeah, he, he may have a, a, a quick fix for it. Yeah. But uh, with it happening to me once, uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, I don't know that he could change my mind. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Because it had never happened to me before. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, and I never had any issues before and had shot plenty of deer with my muzzleloader before that. But he might be able to. Uh, you never know. I, I do right. like the the cleanness factor of the loose powder. Uh, yeah. It, it's just so much easier to 
get your projectile in the gun. Yeah, it's a lot easier to clean. All of that that comes with it, and less corrosive on the gun. I mean, there are a lot of advantages to it, but if you pull the trigger and the gun doesn't go off, then <laughs> all those advantages go out the window at that point. Yeah, it's now suddenly one big disadvantage. <laughs> right. It's not a big. It's not a big disadvantage then. Uh, another thing that kind of that I learned. I mean, I started hunting this piece of public uh, this year. Uh, I had previously hunted it about a decade ago. So, uh, and I, I think I'd hunted it for maybe a year or so, maybe about 10 years ago, got back in there and just learning basically the, the good times to be in there because every area has good times where it's like, you, you really need to be there. And then some is kind of so, so, or maybe it's, you, you really just wasting your time being in an area. And this year I did a, a good job of kind of logging that information of to, okay, this was when buck started to become significantly more daylight active. Uh, this is when I noticed kind of the, maybe the seeking phase this was pretty much the chasing phase. Uh, this was kind of the rut. And just getting that uh, dialed into all of my properties, really, public and private, to where uh, maybe I'm not wasting time in areas I don't, I shouldn't be in uh, because certain areas, the rut kick in. Uh, it's full bore like early October. And then other areas, full bore kind of mid-October. And then I have an area that's more like November-ish. So maybe focusing, making sure that I'm focusing my efforts where they need to be um, instead of just go, oh, I'm just going to go hunt over here just because it's convenient uh, has kind of, I've kind of fallen on that before. And I, I know that that's not necessarily productive and I need to be a little bit more productive uh, in my hunting, especially when you get into times where uh maybe you're not able to hunt as much. This year I wasn't able to hunt as much as I normally would be able to because of work, school, everything that's going on. So I need to find a way to be more productive uh, in the woods to utilize my time better. And I I think by doing that, uh, I'll be able to set myself up in the future. Yeah. I I could see that happens. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, one of your your uh, your equipment issues also came on public land. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The the bow thing came on public land for sure. But and there's there's other little things like say that you learn about your setup, or uh, maybe I want to move to a different setup because I, I I don't necessarily like my current setup. I mean, that's always going to be uh, something that you're going to go through each season. Uh, I don't know that I've ever found just like, okay, like kind of like Tanner has, like, this is my setup and this is what I'm going with. Um, I I feel like there's, especially with all these new groups and Facebook groups and everything that you can be a part of now where people are like, oh yeah, this is my setup. And I'm like, oh, that actually looks pretty good. I I may want to try that. (laughs) Uh, Or uh, I I would never try that, whatever. Um, I I think it's good to kind of tinker and kind of make things more efficient, uh, the, kind of go back to what I was talking about with the actually like tracking deer and stuff like that is making things more efficient, uh, in, in the woods. 
And uh, I think that if I can do that, then I'll be ahead uh, of the game and maybe I can focus on other things. Yeah, I I could see that for sure. I think think getting ahead is always like – the difficult thing, right? It's, it's, this is delicate balance. I think trail cameras help you with that a lot. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, <clears throat> I, I think that's kind of like, that's kind of one of my components, right? Is, is, is trail camera usage this year uh, changed a lot of things for me because as everyone probably knows by now, going into this year, I'm going to be a, a, a first time dad. And so my time's going to get even more scarce. You've, you've, warned me uh you've given me ever since we've been friends you've given me warnings about those first few years and uh reduced time in the woods and everybody also knows i don't have a whole lot of time in the woods to begin with i'm a, I'm a weekend warrior just like a lot of other people and trail camera usage um it, it, it i've talked about its merits for a while now but one of the things i did this year that um, was kind of unconventional was I after hunts in the dark, I would check trail cameras and I found that trail cameras, we talked a lot about long, long-term soaks. They gave me the ability to, um, verify areas I wanted to hunt. We've talked about putting them in long-term areas where maybe you're not certain. I did a lot of applying trail cameras to areas where I wanted to go back to hunt. And since I was already going to put my scent there, I wasn't also worried about checking that trail camera, which is not something I've done a lot of in the past. And what that does is, uh, Parker McDonald, he, he had a frank conversation with me this past summer and said, dude, if you only hunt on Saturdays and sometimes on Sundays, you're never staying on top of the current deer movements. You need to set aside three to four day blocks where you can find the deer, get on top of them and get after them. And so I started thinking, okay, I don't have a whole lot of time for those three to four week blo- day blocks. I mean, that's just difficult. I mean, I got to take off work. Um, wife has got, you know, I can't have any commitments with the family. And so what I started to do was the hybrid of that. If we're going to say long-term soaks, give me all kinds of intel while I'm not there. Well, if I want to hunt an area and I want to know if it's a good spot, that morning I go in, I do the hunt like I normally would, check that camera midday, and if there was nothing hot coming through, I know I don't need to throw an afternoon hunt there. You know, if, if, if the deer movement wasn't what I wanted it to be, it was time to move. And so the mobility component of things uh, really helped, but it really helped with breaking apart new pieces of public land, having those cameras out there, getting those, those data points, because sometimes an area looks like it might be good and it's not. And sometimes a very unsuspecting area produces better. And a lot of that happened for me in Georgia this year, where areas that I expected to find a lot of does, I ended up getting almost predominantly bucks on camera. I mean, you remember the ones I sent you where they're bedding in front of the camera in velvet, uh, prior to the season. And then, you know, all the way through the season, I had deer on camera there. Um, that was a huge thing for me was, you know, not just dedicating cameras to to areas that I may want to hunt in the future, but areas that I want to hunt now so that I can confirm if I'm wasting my time there. Because in Florida, my mindset is I got to throw two to three sits at that area before I know uh, if there's deer moving through there because their range is so big. But in Georgia, it's it's not quite the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of get where you're coming from. Um. That was a huge thing, and and being able to take that data, create historical trends, but also 
Um, in September, we had Spartan Forge come on the podcast, and he had uh, this predictive model, this AI predictive model that takes all of these these known data points and you know compares weather, barometric pressure, the rut, all these different things that makes predictions about deer movement. And being able to have that the, the that wide array of cameras that I was checking at night or checking at lunch to get that live information, um, I was able to compare it to. Um, Spartan Forge, which was really kind of cool, man, because you and I, we have our theories. We have our built-in uh, you know, BS theories. I, talk, I call them all the time where the sun is right above the horizon. They're moving at this time and, you know, or the, not the sun, but the moon. If it's, if it's setting, then the deer are going to be moving between 10 and 2. You know, you hear these kind of things all the time and it works for people. But it was really cool to check uh, what I did to the Spartan Forge app and both the deer... Um, that I killed bucks that I killed this year, the predictive models in Spartan Forge were on. Um, the, the November buck, uh, the, the predictive models were very minimal movement close to bed. We had a hurricane coming through, and it was cool to watch it as that hurricane projection started to change and the forecast for this area started to change. The model for the AI changed and it went from a, like going into that hunt, it was supposed to be really cool. And the, and the, and the rut's supposed to be picking up and all these awesome factors were starting to really coincide. And then the hurricane comes sweeping up through the Gulf and the predictive models changed. And it said limited movement close to the bedding area. And on the first hunt, I had that buck come through right, like like 15 minutes before daylight. I could see it, you know, legal light. I could see the buck. He came in grunting and then the woods were absolutely dead in an area that historically was wildly, wildly popular. A lot of deer movement, a lot of daylight activity. And the next day when I'm sitting in the tree stand, I, I was able to, on my way to the stand, say to myself, okay, I need to take advantage of the first 45 minutes of daylight because the predictive models are saying they're not going to be moving much. We didn't see anything yesterday, but the deer was here, so you know he's using this area. And I blind called to the general area I thought he was he was um, bedding in right as the sun came up. And, you know, obviously everybody knows the outcome to that killed said deer so it was really cool being able to take that cell cam or not cell cam but trail camera information that was live or the in-person interactions and compare it to that model yeah yeah uh, I, we kind of talked about this before how when i killed my buck i went back and looked at the uh, spartan forge data for that specific day and i kind of had some of the same similar results where I think it was predicting kind of like transition area that day between bedding and food. And, uh, that's how, that's where I ended up killing my buck was in an area, uh, just like that. So that was kind of uh, neat to see, kind of looking forward to digging more into that app and being able to compare, uh, trail cam data and, uh, on the stand data, uh, to, to how it's working. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, we've we've spoke a lot to Bill, and I know he's got a lot of cool things coming down the pipe. Um, I'm kind of hoping he'll open up the the predictive models for uh, past past days, which is something with, that he and I talked about. And I know he's 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 considering, um, but it'd be cool to take some of that de- those data points that we have, dude, and uh, compare. Like, holy crap! In this area, I've got a deer coming through the first week of December every year, and then looking at the predictive model and seeing if maybe in September when you're not there. Is it also making the same prediction for that deer? In which case, does that give you that leg up? I, it's it's going to be really cool. That's a, a really neat feature. If you guys uh, haven't heard that episode, go back to, in September, listen to it. It's a really fun one. He's a great guy. I think this is the only deer predictive uh, software out there that's 
built on such a vast array of Southern data points. Um, and I think it's really tailored. Actually, you know what? Let's get him back on the show soon. What do you think about that? Do a follow-up. Yeah, great. Um, we'll do that. So, Bill, if you're listening, you just got scheduled. You don't even know. Um, <laughs> but lesson number two um, for me is be open to styles of hunting. This year, I did an extraordinarily large amount of ground hunting. I am not getting rid of the saddle. Before I catch any comments for that, that is still my go-to way of hanging from a tree and killing things. But I bet you I went from 0% hunting from the ground to probably a 60-40 mix. And the reason for that is when you're tackling new pieces of public, it was especially when there's low pressure, it was really nice to simply be sitting in an area and be like, this area doesn't match what I thought it was, or this area feels dead, the birds aren't talking, the, the, the wind isn't coming the right direction, any of those number of things, and say, okay, I'm going to go over that ridge and see what's over there, and slowly creep your way over there, set up again, be mobile, cut down on that weight. Um, I killed my second buck this year doing exact exactly that, where... I'd been hunting this area. I'd been bouncing all the way around, all over the place. I found fresh sign, and I leaned up against a tree. You know, like it was, it was like the the epitome of run and gun uh, mobile hunting, and uh, it it really paid off. And I think looking back, there's a lot of overlooked spots. Maybe there are planted pine rows in your areas that are too too big or too small for tree stands, but maybe a, a blind would look absurd inside there. Or maybe it's a it's a swamp bottom that uh, you could move through that swamp bottom set up doing calling during the rut, and you can see 50 to 60 yards, and there may very well be better cover on the ground than up on trees that are all competing for light and don't have branches. Um, hunting from the ground, I'd be willing to bet you, Chase. I mean, this year I'm going to start practicing my bow from my turkey stool. Um, obviously not going to be taking long shots for in, in that kind of setup, but honestly, dude, I could see myself going to a genuine 50, 50 setup where I creep into an area in the afternoon, find fresh sign and just post up on the ground. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a, a lot of luck in the past, just, uh, going into a new area, not really finding anywhere that I, I could set up, uh, in a saddle or climber or whatever I was using, at the time and just sitting on the ground and I've had a ton of encounters with deer, uh, just by, uh, the signs telling me to sit here, I'm going to sit here, uh, whether I can sit on the ground or up in a tree. And, uh, I think that you stop, you quit, if you quit putting limits on yourself, uh, with hunting, then you're going to have more success. Maybe not just believing, okay, I've got to be in a tree, uh, or I'm not going to have an encounter with a deer. Uh, there's so many people out there that uh, have success on the ground or e- even other means that uh, you, you should never just limit yourself to one style of hunting. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And and that, I think I've talked about that a lot um, throughout the course of this year is being open, being, you know, have your open mind, not just to where to hunt, but how to hunt it, right? I mean, it's especially with the rifle. If you've got the ability to reach out and touch something. I did a lot of rifle hunting this year. Hunting from the ground sometimes makes more sense in that regard too, because I mean, there were several times I just posted up and did observation hunts, but an observation hunt with a rifle is a lot different than an observation hunt with a bow because (laughs) that gun is deadly out to 200 and uh, my my self-imposed range with the with my bow is 30 yards. So I can do a observation hunt and not actually feel like it's, you know, (laughs) you know, 
quote unquote throwing away a hunt. A buck walks out at 150 yards. He better not sit still broadside. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's true. And I mean, how many times do you hear the story about somebody going to a spot hunting? Uh, in a tree and then getting down and then on their way back walking they end up having an encounter with a deer and killing it from the ground i mean <laughs> so uh, it, it's a proven way it's a proven tactic uh, to get things done it is for sure and and a lot of times you can take the take the bow or the rifle with you while you're checking trail cameras you know like don't don't leave <laughs> yeah. it at home creep creep through the woods like you're like you're still hunting because you might bust something and if you got the wind in your face a lot of times a deer will just stand up and look you know, right. they don't just tear out of there. So, uh, but yeah, man, it, it was a, it was a season full of learning for me. I learned a lot of new public lands, learned some new strategies, some appreciation from hunting from the ground, which ha- also has the added benefit of a hell of a rush. You kill something at 40 yards from the ground. That is, uh, that is a, a heck of a, of a, of a, you know, heart pounder. Um, but, oh yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially if you're doing it with a bow. At, yeah. At like. 10 yards. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Dude, a ghillie top is in my future. I, the, when I got to thinking about a lot of areas around here, there are some really awesome trails that I think uh, in some funnels and some areas where there's white oaks, and it's it's only a 30-yard circle. You know, it's a, it's a tiny little space. And I can get in there quieter, making less noise, uh, if, if I can find a palmetto to tuck up into and just, you know, put on a ghillie suit, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, look at the hunting public. I mean, yeah. they're they're having loads of success from the ground with a bow. So, well, yeah. and, and honestly, I should give them credit because they were the one that inspired this back when they did their public land tour in Pennsylvania, and they did all that. And and um, um, oh my goodness, Zach, thank you. Uh, started you know honing in on that area every day, getting in tighter and tighter and tighter. I was like, oh my god, dude, I'm totally like, and it was thick where he was hunting. It was very Florida ish you know, George, South Georgia ish thick. And he was getting in there and getting it done and getting, and having these encounters. I'm like, man, I'm being a fool right now. So credit to Zach Farrenball, dude. I appreciate you, uh, taking the time. And I can't, I think, I can't remember who was, who was, uh, doing the camera work, but that also must've been incredible. Um, that was, that was cool. But yeah, dude, we learned a lot this year. It was a good year. That was, I'm going to go ahead and call 2020 my best year. Two turkeys, three deer, two bucks, two different state, all on public land. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a great season, um, a real good season. Uh, I also learned to not go to the Midwest when it's like 75 degrees out for a straight week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, I, you say that, but you had a lot of good encounters even then, and it wasn't any better here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If I yeah. could, if I have the opportunity, I wouldn't go at that time. I sure, would wait. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. They're, they're still going to be on the move. Uh-huh. Uh, just may not be as uh, much as it normally would be. But also, one of the last things that I, I can kind of go is don't give up on an area. If the trail camera data and all that's telling you, hey, there's, this, there's a buck in, an, in a certain area, is to not give up on it. Um, I mean, I had a buck or in the the buck that I killed this year. I mean, I could have easily have kind of like written that area off because I'd hunted it five, six times with no encounters uh, with that buck. And if I had done that, then I probably wouldn't have ended up killing them. But I knew that I'm like, this is the area. This is probably the best area that I've got to where uh, I know he moves through this area. And we've kind of talked about this before is where it, it kind of seems like they kind of run some patterns. Like you, you'll have them in an area and then they'll disappear for five, six days. And then they may come back through that area. 
So if you're going in there and they're on that pattern, well, if they hadn't been in there for four or five days, you're not really messing anything up in that area. So uh, just be persistent. And uh, like it happened for me, it paid off for me when I killed my buck. And then the other buck that I was after, I mean, I had the encounter. He's just on the other side of the fence. And it was kind of the same thing. I was like, I know this is his area. So I had to just keep going to that area. Uh, and I, I, I had my encounter with the deer, so I can, uh, I can't complain about that. It was just, there was a fence line between me and him, 10 yards of space, but, and that's the way hunting goes sometimes. It but does. Yeah. To, uh, to just, just don't give up on an area. No. Yeah. You can't, you can't live and die by, by trail cameras, right? Like I'm, 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 I'm harping on their, on their abilities to, you know, help you, but um, you know, I get a bunch of photos of a deer and then, he, you know, he disappears for a minute. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not scrapping it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a buck this year, perfect example. I mean, he would show up for like a day or two and then he would go missing for eight or nine days. And I mean, uh-huh. it like kept happening over and over and over again. <laughs> right. Uh, so I was just like, well, eventually maybe one of these days I'm here will be one of the days that he decides to pass through this area. So it, it was I thought it was kind of cool just tracking it and just be going, okay, all right, he was here like these two days and then gone. And then next thing you know, I'm catching him on camera again, like a week later. I'm like, all right, he'd show up for that day or so and then gone. And I'm like, geez, man. I was like, it's almost like I almost have to hunt here every single day. <laughs> right. To get that shot. Because there was a couple of times where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go work overtime today and go work overtime. Bam. There he is on the camera. <laughs> and there he is like two days in a row on the camera in broad daylight, like eight o'clock, eight thirty in the morning. Opening day, right? Uh, no, this was a different deer. Oh, different deer. Okay. Uh, I got you. But it was just, it was funny how uh, you can kind of, you start tracking things and noticing trends. Yeah. Yeah. of deer but and you're like well i've been in here a bunch uh but it he still shows up it's just like what whatever for whatever reason he's moving around like he he has right. like this circuit that he likes to run to where he's here for a couple of days and i never could like really get him pegged down somewhere else though and i think it was i think he was hanging out off property uh quite a bit too so i i think that it's like well he's he must be hanging off property and uh Maybe I'll get my chance uh, at some point. Mm. Uh, I mean, I had an encounter with him. It was just didn't work out. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's part of it. They're going to win more often than we do. Yeah, yeah, man. So. They're 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 trying to survive. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, dude, let's uh, let's send them on their way. And uh, I think the next one they hear is either going to be Adam Miller or Greg Litzinger. Uh, both of which we're going to pick their brain about what they've learned in the in the past deer season, and uh, I think it should be a good time. This is going to be a fun series. We're going to keep it kind of short, maybe you know five six of these, and and uh, just kind of pick people's brains. Uh, strategy is one thing; learning and adapting that strategy to tailor for you is uh, ultimately what's going to lead to success. Because if you're listening in Florida, exactly what you hear in Michigan may not pay out for you. I'd be willing to bet you it doesn't. So. Yeah, we, that, uh, that's true. And then after that, we're going to start diving into a little bit of turkey stuff. That's right. That's right. Yeah, for sure. So, guys, if you enjoy this episode, do us a favor. Give us a like, subscribe, tell somebody about the podcast. That's how we grow. And don't forget to enter for that Patreon giveaway. It's going to be 
Well, let's see. We're probably sitting at about $250 worth of stuff we're giving away, including a custom Chasing Tales pot call, Alps Grand Slam turkey vest and bottomland and some mouth calls, it sounds like. So until next time, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.